Hello and welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. My name's Peter Howard at Pierre Howdy on Twitter. This is a member of the DLF family of podcasts. Let's do the Too Long Didn't Read report on each and every team in the NFL. And my main Dynasty takeaway from eight weeks of data moving forward. This week seems primarily to have been dominated by wide receiver twos with wide receiver one upside showing out at least in terms of returns to their volume if not outright in their fantasy points. You can check out all my data. I'm pinned to my Twitter timeline and pinned to my Patreon timeline anytime. And other than that, let's have a quick word from our sponsor, DLS sponsor at least, Ticketmaster, and then we'll get right into the week. Welcome back. More memories are made when you're there for live NFL action. And when you need tickets, Ticketmaster's got you covered. As the official marketplace of the NFL, Ticketmaster gives you more ways to find your perfect seat. Their interactive seat map gives you 360-degree previews of your section to make sure you have the best views of those pivotal plays. And if your plans change, Ticketmaster gives you more flexibility to sell or transfer your tickets. Plus, mobile tickets make getting in on game day a breeze. You can even customize your Ticketmaster app to rep your team's colors. Find tickets today at Ticketmaster.com slash NFL. Okay, let's do that thing where I take the opportunity to read out some notes on the week to proofread the stuff that I'm going to be talking about uh, everywhere I talk about things and pass it off as an episode of the Dynasty Crossroads. Let's go. Um, in Arizona, Marcus Brown lived up to his weighted opportunity rank this week. It's wide receiver 23, finishing as the wide receiver 23, uh, with just 33 receiving yards on nine targets, but six catches and a touchdown. He also had two targets inside the 20-yard line, living up to his long, also living up to his season-long dominance in the red zone, with 20% of the team's touches in that area of the field per game. 11% more than his nearest rival, Trey McBride. Speaking of which, Trey McBride managed an impressive week on a slow grind up to relevance in 2023 with 25 PPR points, 95 receiving yards. It did take 14 targets to get there, though. Which is fine. That wasn't meant to sound uh, as negative as it did. Well, uh, Mari DiMarcato had a, had a decent, relatively, finish as a running back 30 in Week 8 on 20 rushing attempts on one target, and certainly more impressive on his touches than Keontae Ingram was. When he had his chance, it's notable that Ingram came back to a large share of snaps, 28% in Week 8, after missing Week 7 because of injury. DiMarcato is startable, fringeworthy, but the low usage of rushing attempts inside the red zone and the looming threat of a more even split of rushing attempts with Ingram mean that I'd start him with caution at best. My main observations moving forward for this team is that the team prefers a receiving game in the red zone rather heavily compared to the league average. Leading the league, 55% of touches inside the red zone are actually targets versus rushing attempts. And Marcus Brown is about to enter a dynasty twilight of his value arc and is all set to complete the loop of an undervalued career. In year 5, his value is likely to fall this offseason, but remains startable. While as my ADP model suggests that his current that his current 13.3 points per game won't be enough to maintain his ADP of 77th overall, he'd be someone I'd look to add in dynasty rosters for depth because while the value might be waning, the points probably won't. In Atlanta, 
This week, Bajoram Robinson was back to being the lead back for the Falcons. Though there's not much that can stop him being my dynasty running back one, it's a line the Falcons coaching staff is determined to test me on. He handled 77% of the snap while struggling on them, averaging minus 1.2 expected points added per touch. He ultimately dominated opportunity in a tough road loss to the Titans, finishing as running back 18 on the week. That was the best fantasy result of the week for the team, however. In Baltimore, I should probably refrain from noting this given how heavy I went in on Rashad Bateman in the offseason and how poorly the idea has paid off this year. But... Most significant dynasty note I can see this week, not the performance or weekly result, but the underlining signal that could provide an edge moving forward, is that Bateman played on 62% of the snaps in week 8. That's the season high since he missed week 4. He's played less than 50% every other week since week 4. He also hit his highest route share in week 8 since week 4, 13.7%. He managed to turn in a disappointing, in terms of fantasy points, production of 6.7 PPR points, wide receiver 64 on the week, but a positive efficiency week on 4.0 expected points added per opportunity. Those are positive signs for a return to something like his earlier role this season. He's a third-year player who struggled to stay healthy, but has promising fantasy results sometimes when he has stayed healthy. He could be interesting in Dynasty given the overwhelming disappointment most rostering him must feel based on his steady decrease in ADP since October. In Buffalo, Latavius Murray is healthy and on the field, so here's a reminder, he's not an easy start, but he gets 20% of the rushing attempts this season, when healthy, a bunch of the red zone work, and is ready to score a touchdown any given week if you need that upstart play during a bye week. It's good to see Khalil Shakir have a solid week in his second season, finishing just outside the top 24 at the position with 6 targets and 92 receiving yards. However, the most notable dynasty element right now, in my opinion, is the continued improvement of Dalton Kincaid. Kincaid hit 19% of the team's route share and 17% of the team's targets in Week 8. He's the third option in the receiving game right now behind Stefan Diggs and Gabriel Davis in terms of route share, And while he is only the tight end 19 19 in points per game rank, he has been a little unlucky with touchdowns, averaging 253 receiving yards per touchdown right now, when the average at the position is closer to 100. Kincaid is a solid part of the highly touted and talented tight end group of rookies in 2023. In Carolina, Bryce Young turned in another muted but positive fantasy performance this week, with 71% completion percentage and an above-average pacer, or passing air yards conversion ratio, and his third-best finish, QB19, of his rookie season. He also had his season high in rushing share, 16%, but that only works out to four total rushing attempts. Rookie quarterbacks almost always maintain or improve in value in the offseason of their sophomore year. And I think Young has done enough with with a ramshackle receiving corps, consisting basically of Adam Thielen, to deserve attention. I think he's a relatively safe place to park some value in Dynasty Superflex leagues if you can trade him off of a competitive roster in your league. In Chicago, Cole Commit is very quietly the tight end 6 on the season. His points per game is 12.2 in PPR scoring, and has an 18% share of the team's routes and 5.8 weighted opportunity rating, which is good for the tight end 5 on the season. That's red zone adjusted touches, basically. I like investing in roster spots. I like investing roster spots and deeper value in the tight end position. In Dynasty, because it can 
often go underrated. But with 4 out of 7 games in the top 12 this season, he's a consideration for competitive teams who could use a boost at the position at a relatively decent value. According to my ADP model, if his points per game keeps up, his ADP would be due to rise this offseason, which would be a walk-off win result for a competitive team trading into him right now. In Cincinnati, things are just better when Burrow and the Bengals are working how they should. With Jamar Chase's top 5 finish, Joe Mixon's top 12 finish, and Joe Burrow's finishing inside the top 4, we're almost there. This week, T. Higgins hit 18% of the team's routes, his highest mark since week 3, and while his 6 targets only resulted in 11.9 PPR points, that's good for the wide receiver 37 on the week, he's trending in the right direction. He's still only in his 4th career year and potential and a potential buy for all Dynasty teams if anyone rostering him is concerned, or in need of something you can offer in return for this slump in value. In fact, week 8 seems to be the week of the return of wide receiver 2s being wide receiver 1, so hopefully T. Higgins can catch up this week in week 9. In Cleveland, Amari Cooper is averaging 438 receiving yards per touchdown. That's almost twice what you'd expect from a league average player at the position, let alone one of the best technical players in the NFL. He's a wide receiver 43 in points per game this year, and in his ninth career year, and should be expected to fall in value this offseason because of it. His ADP was 52, 58.2 in August, and it's projected to be closer to 125 by this coming August. I'd look for that window in your league. When your league mates think he's too old to ever be good again and try to add him to my roster at that second round pick value, even if I had a younger unproven player, even if I had to add a younger unproven player or a point scoring running back to get that deal done. In Dallas, after week 8 and CeeDee Lamb, Jake Ferguson and Brandon Cooks all scoring touchdowns, Dallas regressed to an average touchdown rate all at once. We've been noticing that trend for a while, and it's nice to see it come together finally. On a dynasty note, why not? This is a dynasty uh, podcast and article. Jeez. Jake Ferguson is currently valued as a third-round pick in the DLF trade calculator and has an October eight startup ADP of 119. That's similar to Josh Palmer. I don't think anyone rostering him is going to be as willing to part with him as that suggests, especially after he bounced back in week 8. But it's worth mentioning because not everything that is obvious is always recognized. Ferguson has been doing well all season long, with 15% of the team's route and 14% of the team's targets on the season. He's in his third career year, and very few tight ends matter, but a top 12 breakout season for a third career year player with very little hype around him should be worth noticing. In Green Bay, our note on Aaron Jones last week didn't pay off, yet. He finishes running back 31 in week 8. But again, he had a higher snap share, 51%, and took over the lead rushing role, 41.2% versus AJ Dillon's 35.3%. And his talent should pay off on that volume sooner or later. Sooner rather than later. Luke Musgrave doesn't show up for me a lot. I don't prefer. I didn't prefer his rookie profile this offseason. And Green Bay, outside of a few very touchdown-dependent weeks, doesn't show a lot of upside potential. But since I've been asked about him, I wanted to mention he is having a good rookie season with 15% of the team's routes this season and a decent expected points added per opportunity performance. 0.7 this season, for, which is pretty good for a rookie, although the top 12 usually average around 1.8 expected points added per opportunity. He's been a very good hit for some based on his rookie ADP and is worth holding, though I'm not passionate enough about holding him, 
if you can add something to him to tear up at another position elsewhere. For Houston, the matchup concerns for Week 8 were justified, it turned out. Last week, as Houston returned from their bye week to their worst performance of the season. Given that the matchup would or should be the cause of those concerns, the main dynasty, my main dynasty instinct is to approach anyone with Tank Dell, Nico Collins, and CJ Stroud. Even Dalton Schultz. On their roster to see if they are now willing to trade. Outside of your league mate being a fair weather any week Mary, I think the chances are relatively slim that happens. Especially since Tank Dell has received a lot of dynasty adulation, currently ranking significantly higher in ADP for October than Josh Downs, who is having a significantly better rookie season, and has been all year. I like both, to be clear, but this surprised me so much when looking at ADP this week that I wanted to mention it. Houston players should bounce back again this week against Tampa Bay, who only ranks as a strong defense against the running back position, so goodnight Damian Pierce, I suppose, and adjusted fantasy points allowed, according to 4 for 4. Stroud is projected back in the top 12, Collins back in the top 24, and Dell back in the top 36. And even Dalton Schultz is an option this week as a consensus tight end 12, according to my projections. For Indianapolis, is Zach Moss keeping this backfield for himself? Well, no. He once again performed a season low in snap share, 29%, and Jonathan Taylor once again had a season high, 61% of the snaps. Taylor also had an edge in the receiving game, 12.4% of the team's routes versus Moss, 6.2. He's over twice as involved in every area of the game. Now, Zach Moss, to his credit, just continues to do great things with his limited opportunity, finishing as running back 15 on the week, 14.4 PPR points versus Taylor's running back 20, with 10.7 PPR points. But good things come to those who remember Jonathan Taylor is very good. Michael Pittman had a reminder game this week. He still leads in route share, 21% versus Josh Downs, 19%. And target share, 27% versus Josh Downs, 20%. Downs is having a phenomenal rookie season. With a positive 3.4 expected points added per opportunity. Top 12 average is 3.6, by the way. So it's very good. And it's projected to be a top 90 dynasty pick by August this offseason according to my ADP model. And his points per game, four below as a rookie, only Puka Nakua and Jordan Addison from this rookie class, though Zay Flowers does beat him beat him out in route share since Zay Flowers has a 22% route share versus Josh Downs 19%. Let's just get that ranking right, you know? Kansas City, Rashi Rice's performance this year based on his ADP this offseason and has been good enough to get closer to being a top 100 dynasty asset in a few months. It's 10.5 points per game through 8 weeks, ranks 23rd as a position for a rookie player since 2018, and is tied with Kadarius Tony in his rookie year. He's behind both Sky Moore, 12.7%, and Marcus Valdo-Scantling, 15.4% in route share. Rashi Rice has a route share this season of 9.2. But per our trends, he's also done well with his touches, averaging 1.3 expected points added per opportunity. He played in the slot 62% of the time, or that's his slot rate, with only a 5.3 ADOT, which is the opposite of Marcus Valdez scantling yet has been co-opting more and more opportunity, especially over the last three weeks, with a 3% higher route share this week than his, than his seasonal average. For the Chargers, 
Quinton Johnson had his first honestly positive game of the season with 16.3% of the team's routes, 15% of the team's targets, and 70% of the snaps. As we've been looking at, most rookies do well. Most rookies who go on to do well in fantasy have shown positive signs before now. However, there is this window open to week 9 before the majority of positive results turn up. While 50 yards and 6 targets isn't much... He finishes the wide receiver 47 this week. The key here is a player earning targets and a decent share of the team's underlining volume, and importantly, having positive fantasy results the last two weeks, with greater than two expected points added per opportunity. He's barely clinging on to late first value right now, but if you're on a competitive team whose picks are now more easily projected late, Hitting on a late-breaking wide receiver for both their rise in points per game this season and also their value increase this offseason is a solid place to try and have some to have someone else's cake and eat it too. Personally, I'm mostly out in Dynasty. I don't like going in on that window of breakout wide receivers, but if his value does significantly fall in your league, he could be worth investigating is what I'm saying. The Los Angeles Rams offense disappointed last week in a road loss to the Cowboys. I don't like to write off everything to matchup, but notably Dallas has offered a top 12 matchup to all positions defensively. It's a top 12 worst fantasy matchup for most positions according to adjusted fantasy points allowed for 4 for 4 In terms of trends, the same applies. I don't see much else for the Rams this week. Just the things we've already noted and who's getting the volume and Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua basically sharing a very high volume role that continues. In Miami, well dang, there goes the Jalen Waddle buy window. Don't expect his week 8 wide receiver 6 finish to be a complete return to his career norm. As Raheem Mostart continues to co-opt so much of the team's scoring opportunities, he has 39.4% of the red zone opportunities per game this season. And Tyree Kill is also, as always, and perhaps more so this year, a significant share of the team's overall output. Both these facets limit Roddle's new total volume role. His route share is almost an exact split with Tyree Kill, 19.4% versus 19.9% in terms of raw routes on the field. Weekly upside is held back further by a lack of scoring opportunities in the red zone because of Raheem Mostert. He's not going to do this every week, but he is this every week, if that makes sense. In Minnesota, the dreadful loss of Kirk Cousins right at the end of their win this week is going to affect the offense, as we've seen this year from other teams. My main takeaway is to point out that Alexander Madison should have already been finishing inside the top 20 more consistently since his weighted opportunity rank is inside the top 16 at the position. And of course every day and every cause is a good day and a good cause to go send a trade offer on Justin Jefferson and Jordan Addison in Dynasty, which is a sad takeaway from a very sad event. In New England, I still have no new thoughts about New England to be honest. Hunter Henry was a tight end 21 in points per game this season. He's technically provided an above-average start, above-average number of starts, and points based on his off-season ADP. So that's nice. And also one example of how deeper value picks are often better spent on this position because it's summarily underrated at a certain point. Also a great example of how that play has rather mediocre positive effects with slightly above-average return at a position that is still replaceable even with a dynasty waiver wire. Juju Smith-Schuster caught a touchdown, but not even I can get excited about one target for three yards on a receiving touchdown. I've tried. 
In New Orleans, Raheem Shahid has three targets for 153 yards and a receiving touchdown. Now we all have to move him up in our ranks to an area of value that's reserved for second and third day NFL picks who are very early in their career. Older prospects who have shown some ability to get volume but little expectation to maintain it and uber-efficient players or streamable tight ends. It's a difficult one, but yes, we have to respect his ability to make plays and be efficient in a high upside role. But the chances he ever becomes a higher volume player with production that is reliably startable are slim. Gabriel Davis is his upside, and Davis had more positive underlying volume in his breakout season. He has more value right now, but he's very difficult to start, and there's only a slim path to the second part ever getting better. He's certainly clearly a very capable NFL player who can make big plays. And this is where we would usually say package him to move to a different position or trade for draft picks, the dynasty default. As if we didn't know, hardly anyone in your league would be willing to move or give up those things because they too know, they too know this story and have been here before. If you roster him, congrats. He has upside and he could establish a higher route share over time. It's not impossible. He had 13% of the team's routes in week 8, 17% average on the season, and he's only in his second career year. Later drafted prospects often take a little longer to show this kind of potential and earn roles. But trading for him or trading him away, in most cases, is probably going to be a rare event, so he's just probably going to stay on the rosters he's already on, and we'll see how this plays out. I'm going to do the New York Giants and the New York Jets together because it was the same game, the same awful, awful game. Tyrod Taylor left the game in the second quarter with what first looked to be a hand injury but is now being reported as a rib injury after he left the hospital. There's not a great deal of detail on that injury but it seems unlikely he will return to the field anytime soon and is currently listed as week to week. This is sad news for a player who's had a rough go of finding a starting job in the NFL despite an intriguing skill set and having shown upside. With the loss of Taylor, we also lost the hope of any kind of decent quarterback play. The Giants rushed the ball 36 times with Saquon Barkley and the Jets passed the ball 36 times with Zach Wilson. While I'm not sure anyone won here, in a concept defining result, even poor passing ended up being better than elite rushing as the Jets took the points at the end of the day. The Giants totaled seven seven receiving yards, including adding a negative yard from Darius Slayton. And perhaps in the most shocking turn of events, leaves us all hoping Daniel Jones can play in week nine. Wendell Robinson continues to be good, I guess I'll say. He has positive expected points added per opportunity on a relatively decent volume. He had 23% of the team's routes this week, although no one really got targets. And that only resulted in one target from a struggling third string quarterback, uh, Tommy DeVito, who literally sounds like an extra in some kind of mafia movie. In Philadelphia, Devontae Smith finishes wide receiver 10 in week 8 on 7 targets with 99 receiving yards and a receiving touchdown. It's nice to see the wide receiver 2s with wide receiver 1 outside in fantasy show out this week. However, much like Waddle, Smith is on a team with some significant level of volume in the receiving game on a team with a dominant wide receiver 1 and a rushing game that is taking over 50% of the team's total attempts inside the 20 yard line, which severely limits his upside. Very raw fantasy value of his touches despite 20% of the team's routes and 20% of the team's targets ranks outside the top 
50 at the position. The player is good, and his involvement in the receiving game is both large and strong, but the team, even though they lead the league in red zone touches, chooses to throw the ball inside the 20-yard line only 24% of the time. That's the third lowest rate in the NFL in 2023. Smith, and Smith doesn't have a large share of those touches when they do decide to throw the ball inside the 20-yard line, which is when most touchdowns are scored, which is why I keep referring to it. Smith remains a flex play. Obviously, he's Devontae Smith in redraft and a top 24 dynasty player at the position with a lot of upside, but that's where we're at at this point in this formation of the offense. In Seattle, Jackson Smith and Jigba continues to have a strong, though below average, rookie season but given the signal we saw when DK Metcalf was injured and JSN performance on his touches since then I think things remain positive overall in the meantime Kyler Lockett reminded us why we should keep valuing Marcus Brown this offseason as he had a top 12 week at the position and has been one of the most undervalued dynasty wide receivers with this kind of potential for a long for a few years longer Despite being removed from the injury report before the start of the game, Ken Walker struggled in Week 8 and had his season low in snap share, 41%. And Zach Charbonnet took the lead with 59% of the team snap. Charbonnet was decent on his touches, 0.3 expected points added per opportunity, at least it's not negative, essentially. However, the role was notably stable, or the exact same as Ken Walker, as he only managed 5% of the team's targets despite being... Despite having a slightly better receiving role in college compared to Walker. However, it is notable that Charbonnet had twice the routes that Walker did, 22 to 11. And I mention that because Seattle is one of the places who will stubbornly use players how they want to use them rather than necessarily how they should be best used. And that's a good note to have moving forward just in Dynasty when considering landing spot. In Tampa Bay, Rashad White finally putting up some points using his top 12 volume although that volume has now dropped to top 24 because of his performance on it. But it's not by scoring on his opportunities inside the 20-yard line. His touches there seem to have stagnated overall. But his target share has increased in the last two games, over 14% in both, which is actually similar to his other top 12 finish in week two this season. He's a player who seems to need that game script and receiving role, and the losing game script in each of the past two weeks seems to have led into that potential and as the team passed 42, 42 times both weeks. That's more than any other week in the season. White's upside is tied right now to the team playing from behind. In Washington, there are better and worse Sel Jahan Dotson windows, but the most important and most consequential part of all of them is that you sell Jahan Dotson in Dynasty. I'm sorry, I'm sticking to this one. I really don't see the long-term potential. Well, that's about all I have for you right now this week, looking at eight weeks of data. If you want to check out my data, it's pinned to my Patreon timeline. It's pinned to my Twitter timeline. You can see all my projections on Patreon or hit me up in the Discord or in my DMs at PA Howdy. Or just not the DMs. You can actually just talk to me. Anyway, anyway, I really appreciate you checking out The Crossroads. Thanks very much. And I will see you again next week. Bye. Yeah. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the place, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got different lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. 
picking apart the film is an art always a fight back and forth there is no order they disorder more and more because the players ain't no older they some hoarders or some mortars dropping bombs without no borders they got that I, I like mortar peak grinding numbers like molars i don't know anymore i am at a crossroads chicken a crow chicken a crow crossing the road go clicking a poll twitter is gold player unfold so jake on the table and they gonna play though pete enumerates the plays are analytical chicken a crow chicken a crow crossing the road go clicking a poll twitter is gold player unfold so jake on the table and they gonna play though pete enumerates the plays are analytical